Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett, and this is the Friday broadcast, and we will be wrapping up today. We've got a lot of ground to cover, but we'll be wrapping up our study on the 10 lessons learned about managing money. Now, many people think if they win the lottery, then that's going to help their financial situation, right? Well, actually, according to a recent study, the answer is maybe not. Three economic professors wrote a paper that was entitled The Ticket to Easy Street? Question mark. You see, the financial consequences of winning the lottery they have discovered is not as good as you think it is. Does a windfall have a permanent impact or does it merely postpone financial pain? Well, these professors obtained a list of the winners for the Florida Lotto game called Fantasy Five. Then they compared the names of these to the Florida bankruptcy records to see how many winners actually filed for bankruptcy and when. Well, the first couple of years after winning that great jackpot, people who won small amounts were more likely to file bankruptcy than those who won the larger amounts. That makes sense. Somebody with a large amount of money can initially weather a bad time to keep creditors at bay. But after three years, three years, 36 months, large lottery winners were more likely to file for bankruptcy than small winners. The people who won large amounts did not use their wealth to pay down debts. Financial consultant Don McNay concludes, winning the lottery did not help people increase their net worth. They needed to have set goals and an understanding of finance to make their lives better. You see, it appears that the lottery winners did not have those fundamental tools. So we're giving you those tools today. If you want to live in financial freedom, number one, remember God owns it all. Number two, remember that greed is deadly. Number three, manage your debt. Don't get into more debt than you can afford to repay. Next, live on the 80-10-10 plan, where you're going to live on 80% of your income, save 10%, and give 10%. If at all possible, avoid bankruptcy. And then number six, pay your taxes. Yes, pay your taxes. Now, this may sound like a funny thing to put on a list of things if we want to enjoy financial freedom, but look what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Now, the Pharisees asked Jesus a question, and the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus, but they say, well, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin that you use to pay the tax. They brought him a Daenerys, and he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's. So Jesus said, Pay your taxes. Caesar imposes a tax, you pay it. Now, that doesn't mean we have to necessarily like it, but we pay the tax. And by the way, we are blessed here in the United States that we have the opportunity every four years to vote for a new president, 
and we can vote our political leaders in. So I would encourage you to vote people in the office who like to keep our taxes low, not high. Now, that just makes common sense to me. So the tax, when it is finally imposed, should be paid. The Apostle Paul is in full agreement with what Jesus said. Romans chapter 13, verses 6 and 7. He says, this is why we pay our taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. So it seems there's an endless amount of types of taxes that we pay, but we are to pay them. I know taxes for believers especially are unpopular, and sometimes the government agencies charge of taxes may be more than what we would like them to charge us. Tax collectors in biblical times were not thought highly of. As much as we hate taxes, as much as any tax system can be corrupt and unfair, as much as we believe there are far better things our money could go toward, the Bible commands, yes, commands us to pay our taxes. You see, it's abundantly clear that we submit ourselves to government. The only instance in which we are not to submit ourselves to the government is when they tell us to do something that the Bible or God forbids. You see, the Bible does not forbid the paying of taxes. In fact, the Bible encourages us to pay our taxes. Therefore, we must submit to God and to His Word and pay our taxes. Now, generally speaking, taxes are intended to enable a system of running a society where we can pay those who are governing us. Depending on one's priorities, tax revenue is not always put to the best use, but we are to give. Even in a situation where the government may be using our taxes for wrong or evil purposes. That's why Jesus said, give to Caesar. Now, the Roman government was by no means a righteous government. You see, when Paul instructed us to pay taxes, Nero was one of the most evil Roman empires in all of history, and he was the head of the government. We are to pay our taxes even when the government is not God-honoring. Now, we are free to take every legal tax deduction that's available, and I encourage that. I mean, we're to pay our taxes, but we don't have to pay more than we are obligated to pay. We don't have to pay the maximum amount. If the government gives us a tax break, we are free to take it. And that's why, as you look at it, Romans 13, 2, he who rebels against authority is rebelling against God, who has instituted it. And so we're not rebelling against that authority. That authority is giving us some legal ways in which we can shelter some of our money from being taxed. So we take advantage of those. Uh, But we do pay our taxes. So we've covered a lot of ground so far. God owns it all. Greed is deadly. Manage your debt. Live on the 80-10-10 plan. If possible, avoid bankruptcy. Pay your taxes. And number seven, work hard and earn your income ethically. In James chapter 5, verse 4, it says, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So here we discover that those who are wicked are not paying their harvesters. The wages is crying out. 
Proverbs 22.16 warns that he who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who he gives to the rich will only come to poverty. So, for employees, working hard is a recipe for success. Proverbs 10.4 reminds us that a slack hand will cause poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You see, the Bible teaches that hard work is good because it prevents people from becoming lazy. Here are some great Bible verses about hard work and determination. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard wants things, but has nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. We are told in Colossians chapter 3 that whatever we do, we're to do it with our whole hearts as we're doing it to the Lord and not to people. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says, Even when I was with you, Paul says, We said that if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. So Paul's reiterating something he said in person to the Thessalonians by writing it down. In Psalm 128, verse number 2, it says, You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So one of the blessings we have is that we can work and we can enjoy the fruit of our labor. Romans 12, 11, Don't be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent is made rich. Proverbs 13, 4 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Now, we are to live our lives in such a way that we work hard so that God can bless us. In fact, Paul says, if anybody doesn't provide for his own relatives, especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and he's become worse than an unbeliever. Well, I've got a couple more points I've got to give you, and I've got to give them to you quick because time is getting away from us. If you want to live in financial freedom, you must avoid get-rich schemes. Proverbs 14 cautions. You know, the naive, they believe everything. But the sensible man will consider his steps. You see, even the ancient writers who crafted God's word knew something that many investors would target those who are weak. Now, there's not. Get rich quick schemes. Proverbs 13, 11 says, Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers little by little makes it grow. So avoid a Ponzi scheme, right? A Ponzi scheme is an investment fraud that pays existing investors with the funds collected from the new investors. You know, there's an end that comes from this kind of a scheme. It's called bankruptcy. You see, Ponzi scheme organizers often promise to invest your money and generate high returns with little or no risk. But in most Ponzi schemes, the fraudsters don't invest the money. Instead, they use it to pay those who invested earlier, and then they keep some for themselves. With little or no legitimate earnings, Ponzi schemes require a constant flow of new money to survive. When it becomes hard to recruit new investors, when large numbers of existing investors cash out, 
then the scheme falls apart. Ponzi schemes are named after Charles Ponzi, who duped investors in the 1920s with a posted stamp speculation scheme. So, Ponzi scheme, red flags, right? If you're told that you're going to get a high return with little or no risk, that's a Ponzi scheme. If you look at a common characteristic, when you look at Ponzi schemes, they're unregistered investments, they're unlicensed sellers, and they do things in secret, and they have all these really complex strategies. As you look at avoiding get-rich-quick schemes, invest in a good retirement program. Invest in a program where you maybe have it through your work or a government-backed program. Don't get hung up into these crazy get-rich-quick schemes, right? But on the other hand, do invest your money. Do you know that millennials are spending more on coffee than they're spending on their retirement plans? That amazes me, right? They're going to the local Starbucks every day, five, six, seven bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. And instead of doing that, if they invested that money, they'd have a wonderful retirement. And one millennial from Phoenix, Arizona put it this way. I'm not putting money away because I'm not making money. So maybe that shift toward more people in school longer and going back to school is connected, right? We live in the moment, maybe more than others. So that concept of thinking about the future or retirement isn't necessarily as big a deal as it was in the past. Now, there's one problem with this. The clock's going to continue to turn, and eventually you're going to get to the point where you're at the end of your life, and you have set nothing aside. So I want to encourage you, realize that God wants us to be good stewards. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. But number nine, leave a legacy. You know, the first investment or the first instance of a biblical estate plan goes way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. You see, at God's urging, Abraham leaves everything he owned and he gives it to Isaac. And subsequent heirs all provided a will to dictate their post-death belongings and how they would be distributed. In Proverbs chapter 13, It drives home the importance of this legacy. It says, A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, as you think about this, a memorial, a legacy, not only a spiritual legacy, but if you're able to, a financial legacy. Think about how you could maybe not only help your family, but help your church. Several years ago, I had a couple, and they were getting up in age, and, and he, unfortunately, passed of a heart attack. And just before he passed of a heart attack, he said, now, Pastor, I want to get with you. We don't really have a family, per se, that we want to leave our, our inheritance to, so we want to leave some of our inheritance to the church. And I said, okay, fine. Well, we never got together. And then he passed away. Then his wife says, I'm sorry, we need to get together. And so we planned to get together, but we never did because She died relatively quickly after her husband died. Now, I found out later that they left on the table an awful lot of money that now disgruntled family members were going to fight for. They left almost a million dollars on the table. They died without having a will, 
without sharing their wishes. And as a result, that money will probably go to attorneys, end up in probate, and nobody will really be blessed by that inheritance that was left behind. Now imagine if they had left a legacy. They could have been a blessing to a church, could have been a blessing to a school, could have been a blessing to their family. But because they didn't plan and they didn't make plans, that money was left to nobody. Only one that helped out in that one was to uh, was the attorneys, right? Now, I want you also to leave a spiritual legacy. There are four ways that you can leave a spiritual legacy for your family. Number one, start with yourself. The best way to prove to your children the value of your faith is to have faith in Christ. Do you want your children to love the Lord? Then you love the Lord. Demonstrate that you're living in faith. Don't just talk about going to church. Don't just send them to church. Bring them to church. Live out your faith in front of your kids. Number two, give them God's word. Did you know that Barna did a survey and discovered that 24% of millennials said they were skeptical about the Bible? Where'd they learn that from? Maybe because their parents don't tend to believe the Bible. So make a plan, have family devotions with your family, read the Bible, read the Bible stories to them at night, play worship music, you know, have scripture throughout the house, you know, do a memory plan, get them in in the Iwana ministry at your church, get them involved in uh, attending church and studying God's word. And number three, tell them family stories. Share with your children the miracles that you saw God accomplish through your life. And then number four, stand firm in shaky times. You see, trials not only work our faith, they can also prove our faith works. You see, if you make the truth of God's word the bedrock of your life, when difficulty comes, you will be able to stand firm. An unshakable faith in shaky times is the most effective testimony you can give to your children. Well, my dad passed away. I had to be the family pastor for a while, and then I became the son. And we were deciding what to put on the back of his tombstone. And one of the things that really has always impressed me about my dad, my dad had some shortcomings, without a doubt, but he was consistent. And he was consistent about going to church. He was consistent about getting up every night at 2 o'clock in the morning to read the Bible and to pray for us kids. He always went to work. I don't remember my dad staying home from work any length of time. Even days that he didn't feel well, he always went to work. He was consistent in going to work. He was consistent in going to church. He was consistent with my mom. He was never unfaithful to my mom. He loved my mom and was faithful to two of them their whole entire marriage. He stood for him. So on the back of his tombstone, three words, lived by faith. If you're living by faith, you'll be faithful. Standing firm in shaky times. Well, I've got one last point we've got to cover, okay? Let me tell you where we've come from, and then I'll give you the last point, okay? Number one, God owns it all. Remember that. We are just managing what he owns. Number two, greed is deadly. It's giving in to the, the lust. Number three, manage your debt. Pay your debt back. Come up with a plan to pay it back, but pay it back. Number four, live the 80-10-10 plan. Live on 80% of your income, save 10%, give 10%. Number five, 
if at all possible, avoid bankruptcy. That ought to be the very last resort. Number six, pay your taxes. Render to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. Number seven, work hard and earn your income ethically. And then number nine, avoid get-rich-quick schemes, leave a legacy. And then number 10, give generously. Now, Pastor J.D. Greer says, if you are not generous, you've never really experienced the gospel. If you feel guilty about how little generosity you show, you don't understand the gospel. He goes on to explain his reasoning. Basically, the idea is this. It is impossible to really experience Jesus and not be radically generous in response. You see, first, a major component of what it means to be truly converted is that you realize his kingdom is the most beautiful and the most lasting reality in the universe. You begin to find your significance in it and not what you possess. So you don't have to spend lots of money to add beauty and significance to your life. And then secondly, you recognize Jesus, not money, is your security for the future. So you don't have to save extravagant amounts of money to feel secure. Third, to be truly saved means that you have a sense of how gracious God has been to you. The Bible repeatedly says that the sign that you have tasted God's grace is you become generous, gracious. So if you have tasted the gospel, you will be gracious instinctively. You know, Proverbs 28, 27 says that he who gives to the poor will never want, but he who shuts his eyes will have many curses. You know, a little later, Proverbs adds this verse, he who is generous will be blessed. For he gives some of his food to the poor. You know, Jesus gave this advice to the rich young ruler. He says, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven. You know, that's really good advice that is still given to us today. You see, I believe that we have a responsibility to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now, in order to do that, we must be very generous in doing that. The generous soul, the Bible says, shall prosper. Now, we don't exercise generosity with the mindset that we're going to receive something back in generosity, but it's a law that takes place. It's not our motivation for doing it, but it does happen. You know, as you look at your life, there's some things that you can move on ahead, right? that you can give that will outlive you. That's why I'm so much in tune with giving to the church, giving to my family, giving to my community. You know, God has given us a wonderful opportunity to be living during a very prosperous time. And God has given us an opportunity to see God use his prosperity with the mindset of spreading the gospel. God has opened up so many doors. And I want to encourage you to Tap into these gifts that God has given you and to be generous so that the legacy can live beyond you. Well, my time is just about up. As we conclude this week of broadcasting, I want to encourage you to 
be in church this Sunday. You know, the body of Christ is comprised of those who have been born again. We're called out of the world into the glorious body of Christ. If you don't have a place to worship, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church this weekend? We have a service at 9 and I have a second service at 1045. I think you'll be blessed and I think that as you come and worship with us, you're going to discover some ways that God uses the wonderful Word of God to encourage us. If I can pray for you in any area of your life, would you shoot me a text message? 252-267-2365. Just shoot me a quick text and I'll pray for you. If you're looking for a job, you know, you love kids, you love children, and we have an opportunity. If you'd like to learn more about being on staff at Hickory Ridge Academy, would you uh, call 757-421-7500? 757-421-7500. And we'll put you in contact with the right people so that you can get interviewed and that you can get yourself in a position to come and work with us. Well, enjoy your weekend. Spend time with your family, but don't forget to go to the Lord's house on Sunday. David said, I was so glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Celebrate the resurrection of Christ this Sunday. And don't be forsaking the assembling of yourself. Go every Sunday. Be a blessing to that congregation. Thank you again so much for listening today. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. I'll talk with you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.